Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. To see Jesus work this miracle in this gospel reading from St. Mark today, it's to behold him as the Lord of creation and the one who has compassion on his people. And these things are not separate from one another. The God who created all things is the same God who entered into creation to redeem it, and the God who creates anew. It's who Jesus is. He's God in the flesh, fully God and fully man. So here then, he worked this miracle for his people because he had compassion on them, just as he has compassion on you. And so then that reading appointed for this Sunday of the church year starts off in a very interesting way, and a few things jump out at us. Here again, what St. Mark recorded for us. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. So here's this crowd, a great crowd. They're with Jesus for three days. And here they have nothing to eat. They're in a desolate place. And why is that? Well, we don't know all the details, but what we do know is that they were listening to Jesus. They're gathered around him, and some of them came from a great distance. They're not expecting him to give bread or any type of food for that matter, as they are sometimes in other places of the go- in the Gospels. But here we're just told that they're with the Lord, and they don't have anything to eat. Their primary concern is to be around Jesus and where he's preaching. So this element, and the second part of it too, that great distance that some would come from far away, when we first hear this, we should drop our heads in great shame. So when you hear that and then you think about our lives, when it seems like if we miss a meal or it gets pushed later, we don't forget it, or look at how entrenched we get and caught up in other things in our lives to the same point that it seems mind-boggling that these people would get to this point. How could they go this time and not have any food or not have anything to eat? How many of us would be like these people who are with Jesus and that's what we're concerned about? The other things in life are on the back burner. But that's not the case, is it? How often do we get concerned about things that are of this world? So heaven forbid we'd miss a vacation, we'd miss a a game, a a fair, some field work, a meal, or even a doctor's appointment for the sake of being with Jesus and hearing his word. People would look at us and call us crazy, or maybe we would even think that to some extent. Well, I have to go to these other things. I have to do that. So we see then this great crowd, and it sure shames us in our lives. And it also shames us when many of them came from far away to listen to Jesus And here we are in 2020, and we can't walk a short distance, drive a car, or drive in a car to hear God's word. What does that say about these people who had to walk on foot to go and hear Jesus a long way? But all of this shouldn't surprise us, should it? In that Old Testament reading, God gave the command to Adam, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here before the fall in Genesis 2, God created the man. He breathed into him the breath of life, Adam, the man from the ground. And God gave him this command. 
And Adam did obey this command at first before the fall into sin. Luther, in his Genesis commentary, has a marvelous description of this where he kind of talks about and kind of flushes this out in kind of in a sermonic way. That every time Adam would walk by this tree of the knowledge of good and evil or just simply look at it and not even have that desire to entertain the thought of eating from it, Adam was being faithful to God. That he was worshiping him. And so once then the devil deceived Eve and Adam stood by and watched, everything was changed. Everything was tainted. They took their eyes off of God's command, off of God's word, and they started looking at things around them. And so no longer then were they to be in this place. They were expelled by the garden, from the Garden of Eden, and death was their lot as sin entered into the world. So that fallen heart and mind of Adam has been passed down to us, which sees these things of God, not with the desire to be with the Lord and obey his commands and see them as good, but rather our sinful hearts are not content with Jesus and what he gives. Instead, in our sin, we find our desires, our cares, our attention, they're drawn to the things around us. The God who has created us and takes care of us becomes, at times, an afterthought. Or we think there are more important things in life, or at least we entertain those thoughts. We give them credence. We get more concerned about creation rather than the creator. So that epistle reading then calls us to repentance, and it, it explains it well, and it kind of continues from what we heard last week with, about our baptism. Later then, Paul says this in our epistle reading today. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So he's talking to those people who, who he had just told them what the great benefits they have in their baptism, and he's warning them. Because the temptation for us in our lives is to look at God and look at the things around us and to see a disconnect. Because in our lives, we see our lives as one thing, and we see God and what he gives as another. He becomes maybe a supplement, or maybe he becomes something we check off the list rather than our very existence. But think about it. If we really believe that God has created us, that he's redeemed us, that he's called us his own, wouldn't we see things differently? Wouldn't we live our lives differently? Would we care about things of this world more? Would we place those in a higher priority and importance in our lives? Would those things cause us sleepless nights? If we really believe that in Christ we have our very existence, and know that God cares for us, and we are of more value than the birds of the air, he says. Wouldn't that too mean that we would even gladly suffer anything, even death, rather than have Christ and his word taken from us, or someone or something hinder us from hearing it? In Acts chapter 17, we hear, Being then God's offsprings, offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day 
on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And all of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Or as our epistle reading exhorts us today, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So shame on us then when we have an apathy toward the things of God. Or we get more concerned about the creation than the creator. And as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, God save us from this sin and great shame. But you see, the wonderful thing in all of this is that you see the Lord. He's the one who does something. And as you fix your eyes on Jesus, you see something amazing. Jesus has compassion. And all of this rings out, rings out loudly. This is that word that I've mentioned many times. This, it's an onomatopoeia word in, in Greek. You know, onomatopoeia words in English, like buzz or, you know, different. It's a sound word. In Greek, it's splognitzomai. It's an onomatopoeia because it sounds like your guts are coming out. It's gut-riching compassion. He has to do something. He can't just sit and let these people go. And so he feeds them with bread. Seven loaves of bread, the number of creation. Here, who is the one who is the bread of life, who has come down from heaven. So God is there to take care of his people, as he always has, as he always will. God is doing nothing new in this reading. So no matter how small the crowd was or how large the crowd was, The Lord in his compassion is never-ending, as his steadfast love endures forever. So when you see this, then, you see his promise to you. Jesus is not going to forsake you in this life, as no one who believes in him will be put to shame. And it's okay to trust that he will provide for you. In fact, Jesus said, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Last week, Arlene Tachner's funeral, and that was her confirmation verse. Wonderful. So we seek him first. That is, we put him above all things, and we trust and know and have the confidence that we will not be left in want, that we will not be lacking, but actually we'll have everything. So then we take the time then as a family to hear God's word. In church and we receive the sacraments we teach our kids this we teach our kids that there's no more important thing in this world we talk about the things of God around the dinner table as we're driving in the car at family gatherings or other events in Deuteronomy 6 we hear that instruction to as you go along the way so think about for a minute these people who had to go a long way maybe some of them had kids with them and if you've ever traveled you know more than five steps from someplace what do your kids do they whine they complain And they say, are we there yet? Right? But can you imagine the parents then? I mean, this is a stretch, but if we understand that they're faithful people. Mom, Dad, where are we going? We're going to hear Jesus. How long is it? It's a ways. Why are we going there? Because it's Jesus and we're going to hear him. Are we going to have anything to eat? Well, let's be concerned first about hearing Jesus. Right? And so we pray together then as our families, we teach our kids, we teach our grandkids, we teach our friends that, like with Joshua, we, our household will serve the Lord, even if that means we have to go without. 
even if that means we have to give up some things in this life. Because we're going to be that family that sits at the feet of Jesus. And then as we're hearing his word, as we're studying it, as we're talking about the things of God together as a family, then our secondary concern will be like, oh yeah, we need to eat something, don't we? Be that family that's too busy with the things of God. That your schedule is dictated by the Lord rather than the other way around. Pretty soon it will become second nature. I remember growing up, something as simple as going to church was never questioned. Even when we were on vacation, one of the first things we did, you know, after making a Walmart run and taking, you know, everything back to our condo, was that we would look up where to go to church the next day if we had checked in someplace on a Saturday. And so then asking if we were going to church on Sunday was about as ridiculous a question you could have asked in our house. You might as well have asked, are we going to breathe air today? That would have just, it was duh, that's a no-brainer. But what if something else comes up in our lives? That's not even a question to entertain. When Adam walked by the tree, what if I, no, I'm not going to eat of that tree. It's not what we do. So go back to the Garden of Eden. It's not even a choice. If God said it, if there's a command against it, then there's no question what God says is it is good and is to be followed. We're slaves of God. We follow where he leads and we live as he teaches. The only way that that was changed is when the devil spoke and Adam and Eve listened to the evil one. When he said, hey guys, maybe God doesn't know right. Maybe you should eat this. But follow Jesus and hear and listen to what he says. Eat what he gives and trust that he will take care of you. And so then in your life then, you'll see that all of this rests on the compassion of Jesus. Sure, the Lord worked a miracle for these people in the gospel reading. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go home and you see a loaf of bread just start multiplying on your counter. But it's the same crucified Lord who was for them that's for you. Your confidence to live like this because you've been forgiven in Jesus who suffered for sin in your place. God's wrath has been satisfied in the death of Christ. Will God take care of you and your family? Well, see Christ crucified. And know that he has, and he will. Will God forsake you or let you come to ruin as you follow him and his word? When you have to go into the hospital, when you hear that you're going to die, or any of these things, well, look to Christ crucified. And see this one who was forsaken by the Father so that you are now brought near, and that you have a place in his kingdom, just as he is even crucified and risen from the dead. And so as we look at our lives and we examine them, does God forgive you for your sin? The life which has fallen short of God's glory, seeking after other things rather than fearing, loving, and trusting him above all things? Well, see the crucified one and know your sin is forgiven. And this is yours even as you have been baptized into his life, death, and the resurrection. The compassion of God is towards you. It's found and seen in Christ. You're his child. He's the one who has created you. He's formed you in your mother's womb, and you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He's redeemed you by his blood. He gives you your daily bread and the bread of immortality. So feast on what he gives. Cling to his promises for you, and don't be afraid, dear flock, but trust in the provision of the Lord. Jesus didn't want to send away the crowds until he had fed them. He didn't want to say, fend for yourself, guys. You're on your own now. 
No, he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. So receive his gifts and know that God will sustain you in this faith. And depart from this place. Leave this place and that peace of Christ full, satisfied for your sin is forgiven, that you have life and salvation, that you've been redeemed by Christ, and that his compassion overflows towards you in abundance, spilling over into your lives, even towards your neighbor. Because this is who God is. God is good, which means he acts, and he gives to you now and forever. Amen.